Thank you. You can grab a seat now, and I'll uh, let you know that here at Community Church, we are in the midst of a study of being a people at peace. Our intention uh, really is that by the study we do over this, this six to eight weeks at the beginning of the fall, gives us an opportunity to go into the year ahead thinking about how our relationships can be more peaceful. And the way that we engage our society and the people in it can demonstrate what it is to be God's people, a people who really do love peace. And we understand that that peace passes all understanding and that it comes from Jesus Christ. In Philippians 4, uh, 7, particularly 6 through 7, it says this, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. Paul was talking, of course, to the Roman uh, citizens uh, and the people there in Philippi, and he was saying, you should be different. You should be a people of peace, not a people of strife and of war and of anxiety, but a people at peace. And so what we're looking at over the course of this month is exactly that. Now, peace, um, it's an original language. What it really meant was this idea of tranquility between individuals, between nations, of course, uh, but it was a place of, of security and peace that was typified by some of these things. Harmony, concord, security, felicity, and safety. That's really what we mean when we say peace. And so as we talk about this today in particular, our minds are going to get drawn to this attitude of, of how people can be at peace with each other, even in the midst of a, of a culture and a society which is probably anything but peaceful. I would say if we looked around our nation today, you would probably share with me um, a disappointment uh, in our nation, in our world, where people should be at peace and enjoying uh, harmony and prosperity and, and felicity and, and, and safety and security. Instead, we look around our world and we see war. We see hatred. We see divisions. We look at our own nation and our political outlook, and we look in our neighborhoods and our cities, and, and we just see division and strife. And we all know on the inside something's wrong with that, don't we? And we long for that thing that's missing, and that thing that we're longing for is the tranquility that we're supposed to be enjoying as human beings. Few times in the world's past have we been at a place of such prosperity and opportunity, yet it seems that we are more, more and more obsessed with war and with violence and with hatred and division. So let's do this better. So today's message and really what we're studying is going to begin uh, in the ancient world. It's going to begin with the concept of city gates and walls. So let me read to you from the introduction of a study many of you are doing in your groups right now, which is called Conversation Peace. Let me just read you the introduction from that and it'll intro what we're going to be looking at in the message today. In ancient times, cities were fortified by a system of protection that consisted of walls, towers, and gates. The gates were the most vulnerable point in the perimeter when under assault, so special care was taken to build them tall and strong. In times of war, gates were closed and fortified, but in times of peace, the gates of the city were open so that residents, visitors, and traders could freely pass through. One of the most infamous gates in the Bible was in ancient Babylonia. The people had built a fortified city and were working on an especially high tower. They planned to make it the highest tower in the world, calling the structure the Gate of the Gods. The Greeks named it Barsippa, which literally means tongue tower. We know it today as the Tower of Babel. 
A high place has a strong metaphorical meaning. It always carries overtones of dominance and control. He who controls the heights controls the land, so they say. The Bible equates height with pride. A high place represents a prideful attitude that sets itself above others, and that was the problem of this tower at Babel, this gate of the gods. At the time, the world had one language, a common speech, but God intervened and interrupted and frustrated the progression of human pride. He confused their language, and as a result, they couldn't understand each other anymore. They experienced a breakdown in communication, and their building project came to a shrieking halt. Babel is where we get our word for Babel today, of course. It means to talk idly, irrationally, or incoherently. When God confused people's language, they could still talk, but they couldn't really communicate or understand one another. The high gate of Babel serves as the inspiration for this week's message. If I've set the high gate up in, in my life in speech, I won't be able to communicate with you. A barrier then will be in place. The gate will keep me in and you out. No matter what we say, we just won't connect, so our speech will be nothing more than incoherent, irrational babble. Hear the words of Proverbs seventeen nineteen, as Solomon is sharing wisdom with anyone who will listen. Whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. Whoever builds a high gate invites destruction. So I want you to think about that gate for just a second. The gate is where you encounter the city. And if we think about the, the high gates that we see on some of these walls, we start to see the illustration that Solomon is sharing with us. Imagine you live in the city in the ancient world. It's surrounded by a tremendous wall. Inside the wall, there is safety. There is security. There's the way you like to do things. There's your system of commerce and goods and all the things that are special to you are within those walls. And the way people engage the city is to come through those gates. And those gates tell everything about who you are. So the ancient cities would have beautiful gates. The Babylonians, perhaps the most famous, covering their great gates with lapis and gold. So when people came up, the striking blue and the, and the, the glimmering gold would let you know this is a place of wealth and of opulence and, and opportunity and strength and power. And as you came through, you would see the guards dressed in, in regal uniforms and, and you would know, wow, this is a remarkable place to be. And the excitement would build as you come through the gates. And in times of war, you would understand those gates would be impenetrable. They would, they would demonstrate to the world around them strength. They would demonstrate that none shall pass. If you try, you'll be destroyed. And so what Solomon is saying to anyone who will listen is the way you engage people, your demeanor, your body language, your face, the way you encounter people, your attitude, these are your gates. And those of us who build high, powerful, overwhelming gates will let everyone else know that you are high and powerful and will overwhelm them. And so in the ancient world, if you were going to try to take a city, if you and your army were going to take it, you would prepare in accordance to the gate. Now, you've seen it in Lord of the Rings or any movie you may have watched or it's medieval movies or whatever. You see when you attack the gate, they come in with their strongest. They come in with the battering ram and their best forces and they storm the gate. They charge the gate. And, and of course, if you can break down the strongest part, you can get into everything else behind it. And so what Solomon, again, is telling us is this what you share with people, your demeanor, your attitude, the way you engage people, these are your gates. And if you build high gates, people are going to come at you with all that force because that's what you've invited. Huh? You see it? You see what's being said? So now let me roll it back to this concept of tranquility. If we were a people, are a people of tranquility, the place 
at which people encounter us is a place of harmony and concord and security, felicity, and safety. There's a friendliness, there's an openness. And brothers and sisters, if, if we can learn to do that, then we really can be the people of Jesus who have minds and hearts of peace, and that's where other people will approach our gates. Now, let me try to help make that case for you. Um, this is going to be an interactive time, so if you're new to Community Church, we're here to freak you out. Here's the idea. Uh, I want you to just kind of yell out the first things that come to your mind when you see each of these pictures. Can you do it? All right, Lee, you in? All right, now here's what we're going to do. Just tell me what you think. How, when you see this person, do you feel? What's the gate maybe that they have? Let's try to make the point. You ready? Here goes person one. Grumpy. Mad. Set in, ooh, set in his ways. Wow. Okay. What else comes to mind when you see this? Misunderstood. Dude's just, dude's just not friendly. All right. So if you encounter this guy, what are you going to probably encounter him with? What might some of your reactions be? Smile. Smile. <laughs> Thanks, Melissa. Awesome. Okay. How about the less godly people? How, how, might, you engage, how might you engage this? <laughs> yeah, stay away, because basically what it says is closed. What else? Raise yourself. <laughs> Excellent. Look, when we see this, we're, we're not coming up with open gates of peace and friendliness and optimism. We're, we're going to kind of be defensive ourselves, right? No? You godly people, cut it out. He's hurting. Hang on, we're going to get to the good stuff. Just bear with me. Man, all you godly people are difficult to work with. Let's just change gears. Wow. Okay, how about? Worry. Yeah. Hurting. Yeah. 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 Rejected. Rejected. Ooh, good. Stressed. Stressed. Yeah. Grief. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. That's what I thought too. No, you know, nobody in the first service said grief. It kind of took me off for a minute. I was trying to figure out how to recoil or recover. Grief. When I see that's what, that, that's what I feel. That's what I, oh my gosh, something's really upsetting her. So, so hey, how might we encounter her? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sharon, now's your time. Okay, Sharon's going to hug you. That's exactly what's going to happen, right? Heart over heart, heart, right. We we, we as people, we see a person like this, and and the love of Christ whelms up, and we want to reach out to that person. Unfortunately, in a lot of part of society, we see a person like this, and it's, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into that. It looks messy. That looks tense. That looks, that looks hurtful. I'm not sure I want to get in there, right? But when this is the demeanor, um, it's an invitation, right? But it also, in some ways, is a gate of, of repelling and pushing people away because folks don't always want to engage that. That's not a judgment call. I'm not assigning moral significance to it. I'm just saying that it does carry with it a gate. Okay, how about this guy? Annoyed. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Community Church has great coffee. You should come here. We got this covered. What? Tired? Yeah. Hopeless. Ooh, nice. Okay. I didn't get enough sleep. My maybe what was in the cup last night wasn't coffee, and now it's catching up with you. Huh? <laughs> that only happens in Wisconsin. I understand. Okay. Uh, how about how about how about her? <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, 
Ooh, ooh, that was good. Say that loud. I don't think everybody heard you. Enough. Nice. Well done. All right. Stop talking. This is frustration. This is anger. This is this is being 15, right? <laughs> this is this is the oh, this is the react. I'm sorry if you're 15. I apologize. Sometimes things come out. I didn't think about it a lot. But there, there's there's tension. You can see that. And so, what's your reaction maybe to her? Okay. Once again, can you let all the, the less godly people respond first, <laughs> then jump in? That would be great. <laughs> I think a lot of times it's just, whoa, okay, I'll back up a little bit, or I'll need to deal with that. But, but I think what Sharon's right, sometimes they need a space. They need a space to be able to be angry, back up, give them the space, be patient enough to wait to hear what they have to say. You see what's happening? When we see people's gates, we have natural reactions. We have ways that we encounter. How about, how about this a breath of fresh air? <laughs> what do you... Is this over yet? Okay. Not impressed. <laughs> Not impressed. Sarcasm. Sarcasm, right? Uh, I'm I'm waiting for you to stop. You know, I mean, if you encounter this, what's your reaction? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Nice. Ooh, yeah. Standing your ground. All right. Yeah, you're kind of disempowering the other person. See, we responded. Okay, now here's now here's my favorite one. I got to be honest with you. When I'm searching for pictures, I will look through hundreds of pictures sometimes to get exactly the right thing. This next one was instant because what I was looking for is exactly the right character that just immediately drew a response. Watch how quick you're going to respond. This was crazy in the first service. Watch this. Yes. I am immediately wanting to be her friend. Instantly. Like the first thing I thought was, hey, that, that's just I was thinking, you look really cool. You look kind of lively. You look like a really pleasant person. I like you immediately. And so this gate that she's, that she's showing you right here, this gate is basically saying, I'm approachable. I'm a happy person. I'm a lively person. I'm, in, I'm happy to meet you. Happy to know you. Some of the younger guys are like, yeah, I'd be happy to know her too. But, but, but here's what I'm saying. Your demeanor is your gate. And Solomon is telling you that those of us who build a high, impenetrable gate, we, we create an obstacle for other people being able to engage us. And what is the message that Jesus' people need to engage the world around us with? What is it that we need to be sharing? What is it that we need to be experiencing and, and pouring out on other people? It's, it's that one thing that we're talking about. It's peace. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the opportunity for us to be at peace with God, which means the, the tension, the strife, the lack of understanding and knowing and wondering where this all leads, this life, this existence, that's answered at being at peace with God. And when we're at peace with God, we have the freedom to be at peace with what? One another. You see, and if, if the people of Jesus Christ are transformed by the renewing of our minds and the connection between our heart and our mind and our mouth and our demeanor and our, and our, and our gate is one of peace, we can bring that into our culture and we can transform our communities by loving God and loving other people and sharing that very sense of peace. You see, that's the discipleship we're called to. 
Discipleship absolutely speaks to understanding God's word, to opening the Bible and making sense of that and making that truth part of our hearts and part of our, our behaviors and our heart song. But it also has the transforming effect of bringing peace into our relationships. And friends, I'm here to posit this to you. If the people of Jesus can be a people of peace and we can help infect our community with that godly peace. What happens is that very tension that we feel, all of us, when we turn on the news or engage people who wear those masks and those gates, we can help be a part of that transforming effect. Now, um, when we do that, when we're at peace, then our gates are open. And my desire for us as a church, for you as a people, is that we be a people who have open gates, where when people encounter us, they don't encounter frustration or grumpiness or bewilderedness or grief or condescension. But what we encounter is the open gate of saying, you should want to get to know me. I've got something you're really going to like. And it's the peace that passes all understanding. Now, Pastor James, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which is probably one of history's great, most diverse churches, he had this to say. Now, the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest righteousness. Do you see the connection between sowing and reaping, between how we act towards other people, the gate that we wear, and the way other people can react to us? You see, when we plant seeds of peace and graciousness and harmony, that is what we invite other people to engage with us, right? Now, let's be honest for just a second. If you're the friendliest person at all times, is everybody going to be friendly back to you? Of course not. No. People are still going to have strife and frustration and anger and resentment and bitterness. That's going to be a part of the human condition. However, when they plant those seeds in other people, they should fully expect that, and that they will receive exactly that back. But if we are the people known for being pure, peace-loving, and gentle, and being willing to yield to others. If this becomes a norm, we help change the gross norms as well. Our gates help change the way people who enter into us and into our lives, into our space, react to and with us, and perhaps even pass that along to others. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia when he says this. I have to back over here to read it. I'm sorry, I can't see the back screen as well. He says, um, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Some translations say fulfill the law of Christ. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Now, here's an interesting thing, Galatia. Galatia is at a crossroads. 
Galatians at a crossroads. It's people uh, who are coming from different cultures. And often when you try to blend cultures, like, you know, when you get married <laughs> or, uh, or, or you have a neighbors or a coworker or, or you have to interact with somebody, you're blending cultures and worldviews and ways of seeing things. And Paul's saying, look, when that happens, if you can sow seeds of grace and peace and patience with one another, that's what the culture can become. Got it? Got it? Isn't the Bible relevant? It's neat. Hey, you look back at ancient cultures that's written to them and you realize, wow, we're, we're really not that different. We have some different customs, I understand, but wow, we're just not that, we're not that different. As it turns out, human beings have always been kind of human beings, <laughs> and we're made in the image of God, and it seems that if we can understand that image and make application of that image, it tends to work from 2,000 years ago to right today. So here's what Paul's saying to Galatians. Some of you are going to have to engage one another who have become embridled or caught or trapped in sin. Now, who's bold enough with me to raise your hand and say, I've been kind of caught in sin from time to time? Anybody else? Okay. Some of you are very holy. I appreciate you. But, but here's the thing. If you've, if you've been caught in sin and somebody needs to call you out, how would you like that to look? What do you think? Oh, listen, let, let's clear it up. You're wrong. <laughs> you definitely are in the wrong. And somebody needs to let you know. How, how would you like that to happen? Gracious? Yeah. Loving? Yeah, excellent. Humility, nice. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Hey, look, we kind of know already. Jesus said it really clearly, and in, 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 in the Gospel of Matthew records it this way. He says, if, if a brother has sinned against you, or a brother's caught in sin, by the way, the word that they use there really translates in a snare. Have you ever gotten your, your hand caught in like, a, a, what is it, the, uh, the little things that you do, the wet wipes in the car with, and you try to reach right, and you get your finger stuck? Anybody else? Just me? Dang, okay. Well, if you were me and that ever happened to you, that hurts, and you're like trying to figure out how to get your finger out. I discovered it the first time when I was trying to change a diaper for Madeline when she was just a little bitty thing. I didn't know that they made these as traps for parents at 3 a.m., but my finger was stuck in there, and I'm trying to figure out how to get it out of the wet wipes thing, and, and it was stuck. In sin, sometimes you get your finger stuck in a snare. That's what's saying. You walked into it, oh, and you're in it. You're caught in sin. And there doesn't seem to be an easy way out. The person who come along, comes alongside you comes one-on-one, -on -one and they say, you know I love you, right? Okay. Can I help you get your finger out of the wet wipes? <laughs> I'm not here to make fun of you. I'm not here to ridicule you. I'm not here to take you out in front of the crowd and mock you. I'm not here to destroy you. I'm not here to get a whole group of people who think you're a fool as well and come around and wreck you. I'm here to come one-on-one -on -one and say, I love you. Can I help? I don't think I'm perfect. But on this one, I'd really like to call you out because I love you and see what we can do to help you get back on the right path. You see, that's how Christians do it. And here's the beautiful part. If that's how we do it to others, that's what we should expect people to do back to us. Bless you. That's, that's how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. And in, in conducting ourselves in humility and peace and graciousness and not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, we plant seeds that reap a harvest. Now let's draw it back to our gates for a second. If our gate is one that says, I love you, I'm humble, I care, I don't think I'm better than you, but I'm bold enough and I care enough to enter into your life and to take the risk of saying, I love you, can I, can I call you out on this? Because I want the best for you. 
You see, what we've done is we've planted seeds that can, that can create a beautiful harvest. That's what Paul was saying. What I want to say in building off of that is this. There's always a root. Look, there's, there's a reason. Look, there, there, there's a reason for this. You know grumpy old guys, grumpy old ladies? There's a reason. There's a reason they're there. The first question ought to be, I wonder why. I wonder why. You heard Sharon say that. That was her first response. I don't know if you're just around a bunch of grumpy people or what, but the first thing that came out of your mouth was, I wonder why. Why do they feel that? What has happened? Are they disappointed? Are they angry? Are they frustrated? Has life not gone their way? Have they been let down? You know, have they just lived a life of bitterness? I wonder why. And so rather than just responding back with the same equal measure, maybe we plant seeds of graciousness in their life. Maybe we plant seeds of, of listening and caring and I'm here. I'm not going to abandon you. I know this is difficult. Whatever it may be, I want to know why and I want to be there for you. And, and uh, hey, hey, dude, you drank too much. Cut it out. Uh, hey, hey, I know you're frustrated. I'm going to give you your space to be frustrated, but, but I'm here to listen too. And and like, hey, this isn't helping, you know. I like you. I want to hear what's going on, but that, that's not helpful. Or, oh, my gosh, what a breath of fresh air. Thank you. Thank you. We plant those seeds, and we, we reap what we plant. There's a reason. There's a reason for where people are, and that's what we want to hear. And so in Ephesians 4, 22 um, to 24, here's a really interesting passage. Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. Okay, now Ephesus, I want you to think incredibly wealthy, incredibly um, metropolitan. He says this to them, you have been taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And he's saying, look, everything seems to be in order for you. It's time to work on this, this core part, though. Let's work on your attitude. The attitude of your mind, the thoughts in your heart, that's what's in the well and comes up in the bucket. It's really who you are. Your attitude will betray the truth of who you really are on the inside. Now think about it. People who are always gracious and friendly and you just love being around them, they're gracious people. They're friendly people, right? That's who they are. People who are always giving and wanting to help. They, I mean, what makes them happy is being able to help somebody else, right? That's actually who they are. One day, though, they're going to be angry. They're going to have a bad day. And you're going to encounter their gates on that day. Have you ever known that person? Don't look at your spouse. Have you ever known that person, right? When you encounter them at that moment, what you extend is the grace because of the seeds they've planted in the past. Anybody? Right? Okay. If somebody's always nasty and bitter, though, they're always that way. What's the attitude of their heart? Their attitude is nasty and bitter, and that's the seeds they've planted. And when you engage them, what's going to happen? They're probably going to be nasty and bitter. But here's the astonishing thing about it. If bitter, nasty old person is really nice to you one day, what are you wondering? What do you, what do you want? <laughs> Because your first action, your first sprout, right, the first produce is not going to be, hi, it's so good to see you. It's going to be, oh, what do you want? You know, it's, it's, uh, hmm, it, it's, it's suspicion because that's what they've planted. Is that resonating with anybody? Are you hearing what Solomon is saying? He's saying this gate, this gate, if it's a high one, that's how people are going to engage you. That's how they're going to come at you. 
So let's take a look. There are are three high gates that the study engages this month. If you're in the conversation piece study, you'll hear these three, but here's what I want to do for everybody. These are just three examples, all right? There's lots. I can't do that anymore, can I? I have to do this. No, sorry. Brave New World. Yay. There are three. Somehow I'll do this politically correct. There are three examples they're going to give us, three high gates. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to start thinking of other high gates that might be in your life or in the lives of people who have uh, shared them with you. And you can start to think about these gates and discuss them in your groups. But let's look at this. Gates, by the way, create what we call a siege mentality. And uh, this is identifying these high gates that when you live in this, you create a constant state of siege. Nobody can get in and nothing can get out. So let's start with the first one. That's the gate of assumption. The high gate of assumption begins to look like this. Um, You have a know-it-all attitude and you seek no understanding. You just assume you know what's going on. That person looks depressed. Well, they need to get back to work. This person's having a hard day. Well, they just need to focus on being happy. Smile, smile, get back to work. Whoa, that, that's, that's a, a bad assumption. This person's always sad. Well, they just, need to, they just need to pull it back together. We don't even wonder why. Uh, the assumption gate can be conceited. Uh, you assume you're the smartest person, you know everything. It can be loud, right? Assuming nobody else can hear you or assuming everybody else will like what you, you like. Okay, it can be undisciplined. They can delight in their own opinion. Uh, the assumption gate enjoys quarreling and dominating other people. Uh, I like to, the, the, the assumptive person likes to debate and win and defeat you, right? Uh, and it refuses to see other people's perspectives. These are the gates of assumption. Can, 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 I don't, don't think about somebody in the room, but can you think back in where you've encountered this or you've been this yourself? Assumptive. Okay, this is a gate. And when you're that person, you set a particular way other people will engage you. There's another side to this, though, that I think is really fascinating. In Isaiah 6, uh, 9 to 10, this happens. The, the people of God, the Israelites, have always just assumed that God will save them. God will forgive them. We're God's people. We have the temple, after all. And God will just let it go and jump in and save us. And so they continued to disrespect their God. They continued to cheat on God, as it were, assuming, oh, he'll always be there. Until one day God said, I'm done. I'm going to let you be conquered by the very enemies that you're embracing. I'm going to let them wreck you. And I'll save a remnant. And from the remnant, I'll grow a whole new people. But you stink and you're done. And so their assumption was suddenly turned on its ear. So that's an interesting point about the way sometimes we can encounter people who are assumptive and what can eventually happen. How about the high gate of haste? In the first service, we call this kind of a a teenage guy's conviction here, right? Uh, Jumping to conclusions, interrupting, ignorant of the main point, blurting out, rash, unrestrained actions, angry reactions, and going nuclear over a little thing and making a little thing gigantic as boom, overreactive. And it seems to be this thing that maturity solves in a lot of folks, right? But then there's also the reality that, that a lot of people are just hasty and they're quick to make judgments. But scripture about this says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. What's the next one? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these, we don't even make laws. They're so good. 
And so really what Paul's saying to that church in, in Galatia is, this is how you act if you're Christians. This is the gate of Christian people. Finally, this, this gate of entitlement. And what's an entitlement gate look like? It, it starts to look like this. Um, it's failing to be grateful. How many of us heard that term entitled and thought, oh, that's not me? But how many of you on a daily, uh, we, us, on a daily basis, stop to thank God for all the things that are actually in our life, like security, a meal, clothes that are clean that you can wear, your freedom, your liberties, your rights. There's so many things to be grateful for that people historically have not always had. But with entitlement, also imagine everyone else owes you. And entitlement sometimes can be lazy, dismissive of standards, unwilling to serve others, overly concerned about your rights, and obsessing on wrongs, real or imagined, that have happened to you. And this entitlement is, you owe me, rather than, rather than the opposite of entitlement, which, which, which is what? This is amazing. I, I got to share some with you. Um, this week, I studied most of this in the Greek in the scripture for a reason. Not that I'm a Greek scholar. Let me get that across real, fra- real fast. I have to use all the lexicons. But, but, but what I learned was this. In, in the Greek language, the opposite of entitlement actually isn't humility. You know what it is? Thankfulness. Sacrifice. Thankfulness is, yes, that's not a wrong answer, but in the Greek, the antithesis of entitlement is sacrifice. But you knew this. Let me show you how you already knew this. Anybody ever heard any of Jesus' parables when he, when he talks about somebody slaps you on the right cheek, you turn the other. Somebody forces you to carry their, their pack a mile, you do what? You go the... the second mile, the extra mile, right? Or, or how about this? If somebody has wronged you, you forgive them how many times? See, it's this, act, it's this action of, of sacrificially giving, not just meeting the law and doing what's demanded of you, but sacrificially doing more. And would you believe that the apostles heard this and they were actually frustrated with Jesus? Like, no, I don't like that. They, some went away angry at these words. Entitlement says, you owe me, and so I owe you. But the Lord says this, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. From a position of humility is the ability to be sacrificial. Did you get that? From the position of humility, the root of humility, is the ability to be sacrificial. You see, the opposite of entitlement isn't isn't humility. That's the root. The opposite of the behavior of entitlement is the behavior of sacrifice. That is revolutionary. Now, you may be imagining some other high gates in people's lives right now. You may make some notes this week about those high gates. But what I hope you walk away from the lesson with today or from the message today is this. Peace is this tranquility between people. What part are you playing in creating peace in your relationships? So we're going to go into a time of congregational prayer right now, and here's what I'm going to ask of you. I'll open this up briefly, and then I want to turn it over to the voices of the saints here. I want you to lift your voices in prayer as we think as a people how we can pray for peace in our world and in our culture. And there's, there's three little, little hints we can start with, okay? So I'm asking our elders, our, our teachers, our, our volunteers, people who are here visiting, Lift your voices in prayer during our congregational time. And here's maybe some things we could be praying for. Lord, help us to embrace 
peaceful conversations with people. May our conversations turn peaceful. Lord, grant us a picture of ourselves as others see us. Ouch. Or maybe open our high gates and fill us with humility. Let me open us. I'll give you the opportunity to lift voices in prayer. We'll spend these few moments together and then I'll close us. So, Father God, as we as we come before you in prayer this morning.